And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds together this morning be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 I don't know if you noticed, but the word consider appears in both our Bible readings this morning. It's a word that appears in a few other places in the Bible too, and often when it appears in the Bible, it is in relation to the world around us, to creation. The text that we heard invites us to think about how we might live considerately and to think about what it is we spend time considering. Stop, says Elihu to Job in our Old Testament reading this morning. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Now in the story of the book of Job, we have this good man whose faith is shaken by a series of disasters that included the loss of his property, his health and his children. His wife encourages him to give up, to let go of his integrity. She tells him at one point to just curse God and die. A group of friends gather round Job and offer some well-meaning but ultimately unhelpful advice. Job must have done something very wrong for all this to have happened to him. And after 28 chapters of arguments back and forth, which I'll be honest, don't always make for easy reading. It's hard going. But after all of that, a fourth friend arrives on the scene. His name is Elihu, and here's his advice to Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. It turns out that Elihu is both the wisest and the youngest of Job's friends. Now the Bible often speaks about the wisdom of those who are older and more experienced, but we also learn in the pages of Scripture that there are times when we need to listen to the wisdom of the young. There's a book that was published uh, last year called Young, Woke and Christian. I'd encourage you to read it if you're up for being challenged. The subtitle is Words from a Missing Generation. And it's written by a whole load of wise and clever people in their 20s who are often to be found anywhere than church. They have a faith in Jesus, but finds that the things that they're concerned about when they look at the world are not the things that get spoken about in communities of faith very often. And so there are chapters written by different people focusing on climate change and racial justice, and international peace, and food poverty, and mental health in young people. And it's packed full of wisdom. And we could do far worse than to listen to the voice of these young friends. Some of the wisest things I've ever heard have come from children and from teenagers. We do ourselves a great disservice when we assume that wisdom can only come with grey hair. And when we come to think about creation care and the environment, I know that I am better at this and I am more engaged in these issues because of my children. And I know that I'm not alone in this either because they get it. It's obvious to them. This isn't something they're having to work out and think about now after 50, 60 years of faith and realise that, oh, actually this was important. 
They're getting it. It's obvious to them. They don't understand why adults aren't doing more. Following Elihu's words, God gives Job a whistle-stop tour of creation. The land and the seas, the thunder and the lightning, the mountain goats, the lions, the ostriches. Did you know there are ostriches in the Bible? The horses and the hawks. Job's fortunes are then restored. I mean, I'm summarising the thing. Um, And his friends are then humbled and forgiven. But the wisdom is to stop and to consider the wondrous works of God. Many of us were forced to stop in some way or other two and a half years ago when great swathes of our world came came to a halt as the COVID pandemic took hold. The pace changed. Going to work, going to school, going on holiday, it changed. Things were cancelled, things were postponed, things moved online, things adjusted. Tragedies stopped Job in his tracks and COVID did the same to most of us. But I want to humbly suggest this morning that the wise advice in that moment perhaps should be exactly the same. That when tragedies force us to stop, we are to consider the wondrous works of God. And consciously or not, I think in those early days at least, many of us did that. I mean, after a few weeks, we all craftily worked out how to be just as busy differently, didn't we? But there were a few weeks near the beginning where it was different. I remember so many of you commenting on how so much of the activity and traffic having stopped, the toing and froing not being there, that you could hear birds that you couldn't hear before. A daily walk became a treat rather than a chore to get in your 10,000 steps. It became a special, perhaps even a sacred journey around the world, around us. And we are blessed where we live to have beautiful spaces for us to enjoy in those moments. I've never been more grateful to have moved out of Croydon and to the water than I was in those early days of the lockdown. God bless those of you watching in Croydon this morning, obviously. (laughs) Some people I know took a camera with them on those walks, taking pictures of some of the beauties of creation that you saw. I wonder if you were one of those people. I loved seeing those pictures of rabbits on the garrison and sunsets on the beach and of bees approaching the flowers. Even if you weren't able to leave the house, we've not been short of David Attenborough documentaries showing us the diversity and richness of the planet. And yet those documentaries, even more so in recent years, have often ended, have they not, on a sombre note or a minor key. There's a shift after 52 minutes of glorious cinematography and sweeping soundtracks to something altogether more serious and sobering. For it is estimated that there are now only half the number of wild animals living on the earth that there were just 60 years ago. We know because it's not news. We know that the ice caps are melting, the sea levels are rising, our weather is changing. With this summer seeing the hottest recorded temperature ever in the UK, with Coningsby in Lincolnshire getting to 40.3 degrees on the 19th of July. We need not only consider what we have around us, but we must consider what we are in danger of losing. In Psalm 41, we find another consider, depending on your translation. 
Blessed are those who consider the poor, for the Lord delivers them in the day of trouble. And you know, friends, there is a strong link, particularly in the Old Testament, and especially in the Psalms and in Leviticus, and I know you're all aficionados of the book of Leviticus, between caring for the environment and caring for the poor. Because in the Old Testament, we read about the practice of gleaning. As you harvested your field, you deliberately left around the edges of your field food that the poor could collect. About the year of Jubilee, where every so often the debts would be cancelled and the land would be returned to the people who had owned it in the first place so that nobody and no conglomeration can consume and own all the land and have a monopoly on economic wealth. Lord knows this is as contemporary as it has ever been. In Proverbs 21.13, we're reminded that whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. There is a connection here. And since the Industrial Revolution, these verses have taken on a new significance, especially in nations like ours, because it's consistently the world's richest nations that have been responsible for the worst elements of climate change. Whereas the effects of climate change are disproportionately falling on the world's poorest nations. The floods in Pakistan are just the most recent example. Our actions and our choices impact the poor in ways that many of us will never know. The people impacted will not necessarily be living on our streets, but on the other side of the world. But for us, as people attempting to follow the way of Jesus, distance is not a good enough reason to worry about it, not to worry about it. Our call is to share God's love and to show God's mercy, and that doesn't stop at the end of our own horizon. In the reading that Tim brought to us from the Gospel of Luke, we find another consider. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And a couple of verses on. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendour was dressed like one of these. Jesus is calling us here in the middle of Luke's Gospel to live lives of trust and faith rather than fear and worry. But there's another message bound up in those verses too. And friends, it is simply this. God loves the creation that God has made. Even the squawking ravens and the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. And if we love God and God loves creation, we're called to love God's creation too. To do so is quite simply part of our worship of the God who is the creator, redeemer and sustainer of all things. When we disrespect and dishonor creation, We disrespect and dishonour the Lord of all creation. One last consider for us this morning. This time from Hebrews 10, where it reads, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now the writer of the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, whoever they may be, you know I've got my own theories on that, was not specifically addressing modern ecological concerns, but knowing what we know about the state of the planet and our human responsibility for it, 
The call to care for creation is an integral part of how we live lives of holiness and with hearts after God's own. Across the letters of the New Testament, we're consistently called to consider one another. The one another's are sprinkled throughout the letters written to different church communities at different times in those early years following Jesus' life, death and resurrection. As the church is born and begins to change the world with its message of hope and repentance and joy and the forgiveness of sins. In those letters, each of us are called, as all Christians are called, to love one another and to forgive one another, to honour one another, to serve one another. But here in this verse in Hebrews is the only time where we're encouraged and challenged to spur one another on. Or instead, and I prefer it this way, I think, in the NRSV translation, it's translated as we are to provoke one another. Provoke one another to love and doing good things. And so all that being said, how do we do that? I wonder how we do that alongside the wonderful array of creatures that we share the planet with. I wonder how we can encourage and provoke one another to consider the wondrous world that we live in, to consider the poor disproportionately affected by climate change, and to consider how we might honour God in this one and holy life that we get to live. Now there are practical things that we can do to reduce our carbon footprint. In these days they will also have the added benefit of reducing our energy bills. But even if they didn't, they would still be good things to do. Of course, let it not be misheard this morning. I'm not at all suggesting that by fitting a draft excluder, your gas bill will be sorted. And nor am I advising you just to buy a new kettle to fix the problem either. Far more structural change to the energy markets and our economic systems is required to bring the change that we need to see. But here in our church, we've taken some practical steps. We switched to green providers, energy providers, some years ago. We're hoping to install solar panels before the end of the year. We've done small things like installing LED light bulbs. We're getting milk in glass bottles. We need to each have dry, draft-free buildings. We need clean gutters. We need to insulate everything, including ourselves. It's grateful to have, uh, we're grateful to have a relatively new building, but no building is without its challenges. And many of those tasks are exactly the same where we go to work, where we go to school, and where we live. Have you got step tips to, to share, steps you've taken this morning? We're to share them with one another and provoke each other into action. Did you walk here this morning? Did you car share? Did you cycle? Are these things you could do more than once a year, perhaps? Maybe. But there are days, are there not, where all those things seem a bit pointless, don't they? I mean, I'm all for recycling my crisp packet, already feeling bad because I probably shouldn't have eaten the crisps in the first place. But what difference does that make when sewage pours into our rivers at alarming rates and emissions in nations around the world seeking the benefits of industrialisation that we have benefited from ourselves continue to rise? I get that. And so this morning I simply want to offer you two reasons why I don't think any of those actions, however small, are ever pointless. There are lots more reasons that you'll be able to think of, but I want to just offer you two this morning. First, our care for creation reflects our love for the Creator. 
If we want to follow and serve and honour Jesus, this will impact how we see and view and care for the world. In Colossians 1, or in John 1, or in Hebrews 1, we have texts that make it clear that creation was made through Christ, and that all of creation is sustained and kept in its existence through him. And we heard in our reading from Colossians 1 last Sunday, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And so if we seek to love and know Christ, then we will respect what is his. And implied in this passage, and made explicit in Genesis 1, is the truth that God values creation and creating, that God declares the goodness of creation. It says clearly in verse 31 that God saw what had been made and it was good. And in its goodness, creation glorifies God and joins with us in giving praise. We frequently see this referred to in the Psalms, in Psalm 148 or in Psalm 98, where it reads, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the river clap their hands. Let the trees of the field clap their hands. We return to Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, all things are being brought back into proper relationship with God. Not just humanity, but all things. It means that Christ's death on the cross addresses not only human sin, but also affects the reconciliation of all creation, bringing it all back to God. In Romans 8, we have it confirmed. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It speaks of all of creation being set free. We're called to be part of that. It's never pointless. It's always worth considering. And second, the second reason why it is never pointless to switch to milk glass bottles or walk to church one Sunday is because Christian hope means that our faithful actions done in the service of our Lord and our Saviour will never be meaningless and ineffective, but will find a place in God's purposes. The gospel that we proclaim, the good news of what Jesus has done on the cross, speaks directly and in a hopeful way to many people, including those who are concerned about climate change and often absent from the church. Psalm 19 begins by saying, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of God's hands. We should be thinking about the work of mission and evangelism as teamwork. We do our part and creation does its part. We spoke a few weeks ago about how many of us see something of the glory of God when we see the natural world around us. There are people who discover God first in the beauty of creation. We play our part, creation does its part. And speaking of the glory of God, the natural world gives testimony alongside human evangelists. Jesus himself told us 
to look at the wild flowers and the birds if we want to see what God's character is like. But creation will only be able to do its part when we allow it to speak in all its majesty and beauty, uncumbered by human pollution and exploitation. Looking after the environment is a crucial part of God's mission. It's part of how people hear God's voice in this world. It's part of how we care for our neighbour. And engaging with environmental issues is a great way, actually, of connecting with a generation of people who care deeply and passionately about it. A lack of interest and a lack of action on climate change only widens the gap between those who are disconnected from our life of faith. Friends, this is important. Caring for creation, tackling climate change, working in harmony with the environment, it's part of how we live a faithful Christian life. May God bless us as we seek to grow in our knowledge and understanding and do the necessary work of putting it all into practice. Together, let us consider the wondrous works of God. Together, let us consider how we join with all creation in praising our Saviour. Together, let us consider how we can provoke each other in our care for the world and all the people who are in it. Sounds like plenty to be going on with to me. Lord, may it be so among us. Amen.